Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. But just for just for this episode, just right, for this episode, I think that we should sort of formally recreate what we were going to like what this movie does, and we'll take a nice little break about every five minutes of conversation, and we'll just play an entire Curtis Mayfield song front to back, maybe from the soundtrack, and then we'll just cut right back in uh, without missing a beat. The plot won't really have advanced at all, but we will have be one Curtis Mayfield song richer, which arguably one of the best things a movie can do Fr- so frankly I, I this may be bad form but if you're listening to this podcast turn it off go listen to curtis mayfield yeah what are you honestly, doing it's a better, you have you have an opportunity cost time. here yeah it's what listen i i okay. like our podcast right but this is gonna get us absolutely fucking <laughs> listen if crossfade the man's God. coming for us it's true the pusher man Sig Shore is going to come for us. I only wish I could make it a little bit quieter because I did find out that Zencaster allows me to upload whole like five minute songs as sound events. Oh, wow. So this is just going to play until I tell it. We have the paid version, correct? There's no way that's a free feature. Oh, no, no. Soundboard, not a free feature. I see. I love that. uh, I was watching this at Charlie's house. Okay, turn this off before that word comes in. She was jumping (laughs) in and out while she like did kitchen stuff and like cleaned and stuff and she was like, is this like the fourth time they played this song in this movie? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, probably. Fuck yeah, <laughs> like, it what, is. What do you want? I know. It's great. <laughs> this goes against what Harry said earlier about the plot not having moved forward. But this does basically function as a musical. Where oh, yeah. It's, where it's oh, yeah. like Curtis Mayfield in the background is like, want to get out of the life of drugs? You yeah. to do that. You know, and you're just, you're just, you're, you're watching Ron and you'll walk around the city. It's just one oh, more score. You. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I love that he has two. Sorry, I there, can't sing like Curtis. But what do you want? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, there are two full songs in this movie that just describe the plot. It's like it's first Pusher Man and it's then great. also Superfly. Yes. Yeah, but you're right. It is like a almost a traditional musical. If if it was like non diegetic or if it was diegetic, if like if Curtis was in every scene instead of just just many the of the scenes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then um, this would just be a traditional musical. Uh, and again, like that, it sounds like I'm disparaging. I it could not be more the opposite. I think I'm disparaging Curtis musicals. Should be in, yeah, as someone oh, yeah, who doesn't yeah. like musicals, oh, I've discovered that the the reason that I do not like them, but I do like this movie, is that they have music, you know, written by like Andrew Lloyd Webber, the uh, hack. <laughs> you just right? hate right. musical Meanwhile, music. Yeah, Curtis Mayfield, not a hack. Uh, notably, not a hack. Uh, one of the one of the best non hacks of all time. My experience right, was, yeah. was heightened, I think, by that. Um, well, maybe we should actually get into the discussion of the episode. Yeah, huh? sure. Uh, well, yeah, we can. Thank you so much for listening to Try Love. It's a little bit on Tampa podcast where we talk about movies we saw. Our people man at the Trial and Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Find us on Twitter, Trial Podcast. Find the Trial at Trial Cinema and at trialon.org. I got something really heavy to lay on you, man. And my name is Jason. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Harry. Uh, you can find me at Punish Take, and I just want an ice cold beer. My name's Aaron. You know me. I'm your friend, your main boy, thick and thin. You can find me on Twitter at, I guess, Twitter Threads. 
your social media of choice? Did we already do that joke last? Wow, we, you're doing threads, huh? You did a thread. I don't, I don't think we've ever on threads. Before. I'm on threads. You're on uh, threads. Wow. Yep. So are your, uh, are your threads any better than your tweets? Hey. Uh, I think I've only th- threaded, posted a thread uh, twice. Hmm. Yeah, I will say, uh, ooh, velocity of that seems to have slowed down quite a bit. I don't know if... Uh, 10 million we'll users and not Everybody a single Everybody was like, more. hey, wait, last time we all got really into a Mark Zuckerberg social media ruin. We ended up hating like, it. Journalism and democracy. We notably so all deleted it on purpose. Give it another chance. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, uh, find me on Twitter at Arby, please. Find him on Twitter at Arby, please. Uh, read a couple of pieces about the movie we're about to discuss on Parasphere. You can find links in the show notes. Yes. Um, to pieces about the music of this film uh, by Matthew Chepikova Treon and Jay Ditzer for Parasphere, the Trial Blog, edited by our own uh, Finn Odom, who has been on a guest friend of the show podcast. Friend of the, friend friend of the, of the pod. I think that's, is that three? Friend of the pod is three? Three appearances? Uh, I, I, I think I, once. I, let's establish okay. that I'm always once. Let's just be the trial of jacket. Is that six appearances? Hmm. I think we've had people who've done so. I don't I've think been on we like two hundred thirty-two episodes, <laughs> and yeah. Um, I will also direct you to another piece of uh, media related to this. Uh, my friend Matt Helgeson and I used to create a podcast called uh, Crossfade, and we actually discussed the album, the soundtrack album of this movie uh, on Crossfade with a, a video game composer named Jason Graves. He did the music for Dead Space, uh, Until Dawn, oh, Terminator, wow. the, or the Order 1886, the Dark Pictures Anthology. Which is wild shit. because all of those soundtracks sound exactly like the Super He just kind of copy and pasted. Right, yeah. yeah. I, I thought it was wild that he got Curtis Mayfield to do a song for Dead Space. <laughs> Uh, check it out uh, wherever you get podcasts. That's called Crossfade, the Dueling Album Review Show. Um, currently on hiatus, but hey, check it out while it's while it's there. It's really good. Check Thank it you. out. Thank you. It was a lot of fun to make. Um, but we actually have a movie to discuss. Uh, before we get into the wholehearted discussion, we were really on a great tangent there. I just wanted yeah. to set up the conversation. Aaron, do you have a summary for us so we can uh, sort of discuss what we're talking about here? Nope. No, I do. Excellent. What if I cool. did, well, what if I did? No, that'd I do. be very funny. I'm 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 cool just talking. Just about one it. day. Just no. Nope. Uh, we're talking about. Oh, wow. No, uh, we're talking about Superfly 1972 film directed by Gordon Parks Jr. Uh, the film stars Ron O'Neill as Young Blood Priest, a black uh, cocaine dealer in Harlem who dreams of one kind of final big score with his partner, Eddie, played by Carl Lee, that will allow him to finally break free of the life of crime that he lives and, and kind of, I guess, run away with his girlfriend, Georgia. Uh, it's not really explicit, more kind of implicit that that's what he yearns for. Uh, Georgia, played by Sheila Fraser. Um, and uh, initially unaware to Priest, however, is the involvement uh, in the drug trade of white Deputy Commissioner Reardon, played by uh, previously mentioned Sig Shore. Actually, that may have been before we hit record, but Sig Shore, uh, who also helped produce the film. Um, he has other plans for Priest and his associates. Uh, the film is a, a member of the notable member of the black exploitation genre and uh, released as previously mentioned in 1972, kind of helped to. Um, if not like define, then kind of cement the genre after the previous year's uh, releases of Shaft and Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song kind of helped arguably be kind of the, the first um, uh, entrance in the genre. Uh, the film was a massive, massive success, uh, although its contents were kind of quite controversial for reasons that we'll probably eventually get to. Uh, also, yes, as, as previously joked about, Curtis Mayfield did the soundtrack. Um, it's maybe off the top of my head, probably the most famous like non-score soundtrack uh you know what i mean like pre like recorded like songs for a I'm soundtrack to think of another one for sure um That's yeah there's a famous. few others in in the black exploitation zone right, I mean, shaft yeah. the map um, stuff yep. like that i guess i don't even know 
Oh Brother, Where Art Thou is one of those albums, I guess. But I, I Tron Legacy. <laughs> Sure, uh, sure. Um, Harry, you would know this. We're but in- you'd have to name the greats in order to get anything up yeah, next to yeah. Superfly. Would yeah. were any Talking Heads songs original to um to their to that movie? I think that the true story our true stories the album came out before I wanna say it came out before the movie, but I could be talking about okay. it. Doesn't count. Else. Yeah, it doesn't count. Doesn't Never count. Mind. Uh but just that's a, yeah, that's last, a great comparison. Uh, soundtrack would uh, actually outer in the film has arguably gone on to kind of B, I mean, Superfly is, is, you know, what's one of the most famous movies of all time, but but the soundtrack is kind of e- even on another level in terms of just uh, financial critical success. It has gone on to be generally considered one of the best albums of all time. If I guess Saturday some Night sort of a Fever, list. right? That would be another Saturday one. Saturday Night Fever is, that's is probably the other one. That's not a single artist, though. That's just a soundtrack of various yeah. artists, right? But was that, I, that's I, the I one can't that, remember like, if that was all recorded for that film or if it was kind of I don't of think so. I think it was compiled. just a bunch of disco songs for the... But it's up there. But that yes. is like one of the best-selling records of all time to this day. Yeah. Just because yeah. e- fucking everybody bought that record. Damn. I didn't know that. Um, I think we're anyway, sort of splitting hairs, Yeah, between score and soundtrack there. Score being like originally composed for the music, for the movie, whatever. Um, but I think it's a great place to start, actually, the discussion. We already sort of talked about Curtis Mayfield a little bit before we uh, formally started the episode, but um, my experience with the record uh, and the, the movie I just watched for the first time today, um, having known of its provenance through only the music, but having listened to the music a bunch, even before that episode of Crossfade that we recorded, I was like listening to that record as like a staple of soul funk R&B, especially 70s versions of that, and sort of its uh, legacy since then just appears everywhere in many forms of music. Um, and its influence is very widespread. Uh, but it had this strange effect of while I'm watching the movie, I'm recognizing the musical cues and sort of like being able to determine the flow of a scene before the scene really starts. I mean, it's not the full length of every single song that appears in the movie, but many like of the seminal moments in each song, a lot of the hooks, a lot of the lead ins and, uh, you know, iconic parts do appear in the movie and they accompany key moments of the movie. Um, to where you used uh, the term musical earlier, and I'm sure that's not an original thought for any of us to have, but it just sort of like queued up um, and and created like the entire feeling of the scene before it happened and sort of like dictated to me the flow of the movie overall, uh, where I guess I had a presupposition, having very limited experience with black exploitation films myself, I had a presupposition that this was kind of like more exploitative than uh you know sort of noir-ish but as it was described as many recaps and summaries will tell you like the plot does follow kind of a noir uh tropey thing in many in many respects um so the flow that i had sort of anticipated from summaries and from hearing about the movie's sort of provenance and the what i was given in the movie while watching and, and listening to the soundtrack in particular were just two almost different things that I had to reconcile in my mind as it's going. Um, it also had the unfortunate effect of like, once I was introduced to Freddy, I kind of knew what was going to happen to that guy. Cause one of the most, one of the best tracks on the record is yeah, called Freddy's dead. Freddy's dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's an unfortunate byproduct of having listened to this record. So to many be times fair, they the don't movie. play the vocal clip saying Freddy's dead. I, yeah. They, they play like that, but I don't but like they play that a lot. <laughs> But <laughs> also, I, I would argue that the character of Freddy, if you didn't know he was going to die, you maybe haven't seen a movie that's before. On you. <laughs> that's, that's on you. Yes. That was all my fault. Uh, Harry, what, what was your mileage here? How did you feel about yeah. the music oh, in the movie? Um, like you, I'm a really big Curtis Mayfield fan. I kind of always was. My dad uh, was really heavy into like 70s R&B um, and uh, 
so I got really into Curtis Mayfield kind of when I was a kid, along with like Marvin Gaye and Al Green and um, a bunch of the greats. Um, Curtis was one of the first albums I bought when I bought a like vinyl uh, record player. So I was also super familiar with Superfly, the soundtrack, but have not actually seen the movie until now. Um, thought it was great. Like you said, it was weirdly nostalgic for something that I've never actually experienced just because... Um, I knew all this music so well, and so to like place it in its context, finally with this movie, uh, felt really cool. Um, I re- I'm really glad that Aaron brought up the controversy surrounding this movie. Uh, I think that's a really fun and interesting thing to talk yeah. about. In that, um, I, I in like I'm by no means like a historian, right? So like I can't like expe- especially about like the Black Liberation experience. But I I think it's funny that like I have almost the inverse relationship to this movie that everybody seemed to in 1972. Where like in 1972, people were like, yeah, the movie rocks. Like it's really fun to watch, but it's like it's pretty politically abhorrent because it it like demonstrates how like all black people are drug dealers or something. Whereas I'm like actually I think this movie is politically pretty ahead of its time, uh, pretty radical. Uh, I really really like its depiction of a lot of things, including and especially the idea that that the reason the drug trade is bad is not because it's bad to be in the drug trade. It's bad because it's actually controlled by the powers that be, which is like a much better point to make about, especially like this movie came out in 1972. Crack cocaine was introduced to the inner cities by the Reagan administration in the eighties. So it's just sort of like prefigures all of that. But um, I really loved that. I really loved this very unsparing documentation of this sort of idea that like, People like Young Blood Priest, they're not wrong to get into the drug trade because it really is their only opportunity to advance and to live any sort of life of self-determination. And I even really love that the movie kind of takes on like the idea of a civil rights movement as not being able to provide better lives for the actual people that are caught in the crossfire. Um it's all very forward-looking, future-looking, and nobody in this uh, movie is looking forward to the future because they just have to get over first, and they have to do what they have to do to get over. I really love all of that politically. Um, my inverse experience is like I don't actually think this movie is that fun to watch. To be to be perfectly honest, like it's kind of barely a movie. Uh, the the joke that I made is that it's like, and again, huge Curtis Mayfield fan, so I would watch this movie again right now. But um, it's basically a lot of Curtis. Mayfield music videos, right? Like there are multiple, multiple scenes where like Youngblood will just like sit down in a club and then Curtis Mayfield is playing at that club and he just plays the full song Pusher Man while everybody just stands still and watches him do that. Or uh, you brought this up in your review, Aaron, but like there's a sex scene where like the sex scene is just like like black arms and legs that you can barely make out. And then an entire Curtis Mayfield song plays. <laughs> this happens Rocks. at multiple times. There's a whole montage of them selling uh, cocaine to people that's just still images set to yet another full Curtis Mayfield song. Um, It's like, it's cool, but like it does have the effect of like, there is very little plot happening here. Um, It kind of creates a weird understated vibe type movie, but like, especially when you consider when this movie was made and the sort of historical um, significance of it. Like, I think it's really important and cool to have a movie that like centers the black experience like this. And it's just like really unabashedly about like, Hey, we're going to make like a cool black guy be the main character. And it's a movie about the black experience. And it's a movie that like is not going to apologize or equivocate about any of these experiences and you know like i think that like unabashedly like we are supposed to root for uh young blood right and and to a lesser extent to the people around him even though they're all just 
like unabashed drug dealers. And like Priest doesn't want to get out of the drug trade because he thinks it's morally wrong. He wants to get out because he wants to live. Exactly. He wants to be his own person. Right. And he knows he can't do that in the drug trade. So, um, yeah, I think the stakes are really good. I think that there's a lot of good stuff happening here. Um, I think like especially in 2023, like I, I think that like the politics are surprisingly ahead of their time. Um, I just didn't super love the actual experience of watching it so much, I guess. I found it a little bit boring uh, once you get past the amazing music. But what do you guys think? Yeah, it's a little flat in terms of movie making. Like the moments that stick out stick out because they happen to like work an incredible soundtrack in or have like incredible violence in a moment you know it's not like there's an inherent like a real pull to the making of this film um there i think they you know performances are fine throughout as far as like 70s exploitation style everybody's kind of like doing their job delivering everything i guess no, no particular point of failure it's just overall those pieces come together and only really hit during moments of like soundtrack import i guess um the i, I really like that we got to the point of like the movie's um I guess the, the moralizing that happened around its release, which you can totally understand, like, I guess th- at the time there was this pushback against movies that would portray, you know, black men as pushers, pimps and and black women as black American women as, you know, to subservient and as sort of like second to second fiddle and sort of glorifying the criminal lifestyle, whatever, um, already a little, you know, misguided to begin with. But then I think this movie itself sort of addresses that in some interesting ways. You said, uh, Harry, that um, uh, Priest doesn't like want to get out of uh, the pushing trade because he thinks it's morally wrong. He says originally that like he wants to get out before he has to kill somebody or before somebody kills him. And so it's like, okay, so it's a dangerous thing. It's self-preservation. But then later he admits to Georgia that it's more about like choice. It's about having his way, like being his own person, because I guess the larger point that I think this movie's trying to do and, and whether or not it sticks that landing, I'm not sure, but I think that definitely part was part of the spirit was like just, uh, uh, just an indemnification of, or not indemnification, whatever the word is, um, of the, like the sort of Pyrrhic victory or maybe even failure of the civil rights movement to create like actual, uh, social mobility and like economic mobility for, uh, black Americans that, you know, essentially post civil rights movement, um, there were, greater uh, freedoms afforded but not a whole lot of social uh, Im- imperative to like enforce those uh, and really th- i think this movie is positing that in the short just a few short years after that movement really began and sort of hit its peak that two lifestyles were basically afforded to black americans and it's you know um uh, black capital and sort of like feeding into the system or you know subverting and becoming part of the criminal underworld and getting into uh, crime etc um, and he is sort of wanting to priest as a character as the nexus of that is wanting to live outside of both of those things. He wants to self-define. Um, there's a lot of interesting things I think that come up when you sort of peel back the power layers that are going on in this movie. Um, when it's revealed that the police commissioner is the source of the cocaine that everybody's using to get through to like basically feed this drug trade uh, is a really interesting implication. Right. I think it's 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 really yeah, that, like a I fun mean, story to to follow. But yeah, sorry to I don't mean to no, interrupt that that was that was where I was going next, which is that like, I really like the way you characterize that, because then in fact, it pulls the rug out from under you again, right? We're like, we, we sort of like get this very unsparing setup of the idea of, of cocaine dealing and like being a part of the criminal underworld as at least it's like it's this one option towards self determination for uh, black inner city people, right? It's like, like young blood priest because of racism and because of his criminal record, which was created via racism will never be able to be a part of any sort of equitable system of 
or or sort of like quote unquote legal system of advancement. So he has to do this instead. This is all he knows. This is all he ever learned. This is all he'll ever have the resources to do. But then it's like, it's actually a false binary, right? Because in fact, the drug trade is also controlled by literally white policemen, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, it turns out that this entire sort of alternative system that we sort of pretended created, uh, this this sort of alternative scheme was actually just rearranging deck chairs, right? It, it's like it it had always been that like black people are going to be victimized and um, used by, and they say this in no uncertain terms, right? Like used. I don't think nobody ever calls anybody a slave, but like there's this idea that like you're going to work for this white cop doing his dirty work selling cocaine mm-hmm. until he doesn't need you anymore, and then he's going to kill you, just like he killed your mentor, right, or whatever. And so it's like it's like he says, like and. And it lays out the politics very clearly, like you are owned, you are owned by this system and this establishment. And the only way out is to basically beat them at their own game. And I I think that that is like a really good sort of like unsparing. I think that like, especially that frustration is that um, indictment of the, uh, the idea of the civil rights movement, as you expressed it, Jason, this idea that like, well, like now that we we have found some sort of like ostensible equality in society, like now there maybe are actually pathways forward for black people. And I think that the frustration at the heart of this movie is like actually like the fact that we set that up to look like that is making it even worse. Precisely. Right. Yeah. Um, which like, again, like when you consider like how neoliberalism uh, in the decades that followed the 70s made like racial relations and certainly class relations in this country, I think even worse in a lot of ways, right? Like I think that there are generally somehow in like the 2020s, we're just starting to sort of like rediscover class awareness and how it intersects with like racial theory. But like really like, I think that like, unfortunately the sort of um, for lack of a better term, like integrationist policies of some of the, movements including the movements that criticize this movie they kind of help do that in some ways right like i'm not i'm not judging them for that because like hell i couldn't do better right but but it is sort of there's this idea that like by sort of like creating this idea or this illusion of equality and upward advancement and alternatives to criminality you sort of put the onus on the criminals and you're allowed to sort of like dismiss them as being criminals because it's like, well, there are all these opportunities. So clearly they must've just been bad people. And really the way that operates is just to give people the excuse to see these people the way they always wanted to. Right. And so I think that like, I think it's really cool to sort of like blow up this idea of alternatives or even this idea that like, even the the criminal subculture actually offers a reasonable alternative to self-determination for black people. And in fact, like there is no way out except for breaking the system down um, entirely. I think that's, that's a pretty cool place to go with this movie. I think so too. I think it's interesting that like, as, as a, like tied directly to the movie's narrative flow, like at the beginning we see the criminal underworld as, uh, you know the 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 pushing ring that Prince uh, Priest is part of. Um, we see it like there's junkies on the street. There are you know women pushing babies in their carriages through like rough parts of town. Pretty typical stuff. And then as the movie goes on, and as we start to see what Priest wants and sort of the world that he's trying to get away from and why, and, and as as a as a, excuse me, as a as a tool of like self identification and self determination rather than like playing into a system, he like we start to see it. Um, 
I guess the nexus of my point here is the scene that you were mentioning earlier, Harry, where uh, it's like a montage scene right after Eddie gives his like to the camera speech um, about like what like the opportunities that they're going to have afforded to them kind of thing. Um, right after that scene is they are it shows like the, the movement of coke through communities and it's everybody like everybody in town is doing cocaine construction workers and business people and their husbands and wives uh and you know people on the street and it's like this is no longer making a point that like criminals beget criminality it's like this is a this is a, a, a service a product being offered it makes to the world go round right precisely it's it's i think cynical obviously but a, but a much more uh, realistic look i think at sort of like the uh why uh it is why it might be attractive for people of this time for people quote unquote liberated by these movements to be pulled toward that lifestyle and like enabled by it as again the cop subplot uh, i guess it's not even the subplot the cop plot um where the commissioner is is feeding the uh, whole coke ring um that becomes like the main through line of the story is that this all of these woes that priest has and that everybody wants uh you know uh, to be part of this uh, everybody who's in this just wants to more of it and wants to be like eddie is super bought in himself because it's, he sees that it's going to afford him nice things in life and he's going to die when he dies and until then he's going to live um it's tying that still directly to the uh you know constant social and economic influence of white america of systems of power that it's that uh, that are, that feed it and that are fed by it and you know the interrelation between uh capital and um and mili- military force with the with the police i i think it's just like it there's a lot more nuance to discussion than this movie like kind of gives it space to have it just like sort of puts it out there as as the bread loaf on the outside of you know the, the i guess the I'm trying to make a sandwich analogy for some reason, but sort of the out, outermost layer of this thing, it's showing without like really digging too deep into it, instead breaking for Curtis Mayfield songs occasionally. You can't be mad about that. But um, I just think it's interesting that the longer the movie goes on and the more of the uh, material we actually see, the less we're um, like, the less we're moralizing and the less easily, it, the less easy it is to pick at this movie from like that moralizing perspective. I want to say that like people in the 70s who, um, you know, boycotted or uh, besieged this movie's release, probably were basing it on the first 20, 30 minutes where you actually see the movings of the criminal underworld, underworld rather than like the sort of characters who uh, are in it and why they're in there and how, why they want to get out and sort of who's pulling the strings sort of thing. Um, I, I dared even one person back then to just watch the whole movie, I guess. <laughs> but again, this is 50 years of hindsight so yeah well and it's it's kind of wild that like this movie is so tremendously successful in the sense that like it kind of started this thing that like has become so normalized in culture that we're kind of shocked that there was moralizing around it right because it's like you read these things about like the the NWACP like sort of hand wringing about the idea of like portraying drug dealers positively and it's like literally like in the wikipedia they're like yeah Rick Ross watched this movie and he was like oh I want to do drug dealing <laughs> you know what I mean but but like in our culture in 2023 it's like I love push a t right and like literally right. all of his songs are about dealing coke <laughs> and like um, I don't want to be sort of like white guy talking about black culture, obviously, but it, but it is kind of interesting that like this movie sort of like it really defined an idea. And I think that like the reason why is you can see it like I think it's legitimately sympathetic to the idea of like, like, yeah, it looks everybody wants to be like priest, right? Because it's like he seems to be an independent man. He seems to have his own thing going on. He's cool. He has um, 
he has great clothes, he has great style, and he gets to be his own person, right? And I think that like I think that it's really important to this movie that we set up that aspiration as aspirational legitimately, right? Like as something people want to be because it's what everybody should want, right? Is to be their own person, to be able to self-define, to be able to be free of being owned by somebody else. And um, I think that like the reason why we have to portray that so positively this early on is to give people an understanding of how that's been taken away from them, right? Or, or that um, this is something that is legitimately aspirational and that, um, that that's what makes the fact that the system deprives you of it so wholly so frustrating um and i really love that montage scene you brought up because i think it really underscores the hypocrisy right it's like here you got sort of black middle managers selling to white america uh yeah based on distribution from white institutions of power that ship the cocaine in black people distribute it to white america and who gets in trouble right like it's not the users and it's not the distributors it's like all of the criminality is placed on the middle managers who are literally just selling what the product that white America wants back to them through distributors, right? And so it, it's sort of like, it's this great absurdity where it's like, why should all of this like heat fall on people like Priest? And it's like, well, there's a pretty clear reason why. It's because we criminalize the parts that we want to criminalize to keep the right people in the right places so that we can keep the system turning, right? And like, I think that there's even... A metaphor for that when like priest is trying to get out and that's when they come to him and they say actually we want to like we want to promote you we want to make you our main our main dealer our main supplier right and it's like but the strings attached are you're going to have to keep jumping when we say jump um and it's like it's it's a perfect sort of metaphor for how it continually entangles and then marginalizes a class of people uh through a system as far as the question of like representation goes specifically in regard to the um, kind of criticisms of the film when it first came out from, I mean, so the, the, the Wikipedia page and you can kind of a lot of articles about the film and whatnot mention a lot of backlash from like black organizations and whatnot. Um, there's also, you, you can feel free to find your kind of a uh, uh, long list of, of kind of, pretty racist uh, criticisms of the film from like white film critics and whatnot at the time. Pauline Kale has a really just big L of a review of this uh, uh, film. That's, see it. She, she kind of uh, sucks, man. Gotta she say, kinda, she, you know, when, when she, yeah, yes. Uh, just, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I am like, I don't know. I'm like kind of sympathetic, at least from like, uh, uh, you know, black organizations and, and kind of prominent black like intellectuals and whatnot that, that critiqued films like this. I like, I guess I'm a little bit sympathetic uh, to a certain extent um, in, in the, in the manner that like, I think there was a lot of questions around like, as um, black people started to kind of um, be accepted in filmmaking. I mean, the, obviously they were always in films uh, for, for like decades and decades. Right. But like, as like, black stories and experiences started being kind of, I don't know, put through Hollywood as like an institution, which like black exploitation films in general are often seen as like these kind of underground um, kind of independent things. A lot of them, including this film were like financed by Hollywood by like pretty large, like white producers and whatnot. And there's, I think a discussion to be had there. Um, but I think like it is very interesting, like how much the conversation has changed from like, a pure question of like representation as in like what images are being shown in this film, uh, the image of like 
you know, priest as like a cool kind of, um, you know, he does karate, right? But he also, uh, you know, he pimps women, uh, he sells drugs, he kind of pushes other people to sell drugs for him when they can't come up with money. Um, Those are like, certainly negative aspects of a character. But it's like, it is interesting just how kind of far the conversation has like not even necessarily like moved on, even though I think it is like a slightly better aim, but like it is completely changed to like not be about that at all. Right. Like, I think there is like a general understanding that like, if this film were to come out today, it would be understood that like, this is a a negative portrayal of this system. This is a character who does bad stuff kind of due to the context of the world that he lives in. And it's like, it's, it, it is weird to read critiques of this film because it is, it is such a different thing. Like the focus is like so different in a way that I think is quite fascinating. Um, but I think like given the, the history of filmmaking and kind of the start of black exploitation films, um, I think like there is something maybe to like be understood there. Um, oh yeah. The other thing I is definitely that, like, agree with that. Right. Yes. Like, I would never, I would never criticize like, because like, I don't, I don't know what the civil rights or sort of like the state of, black representation in media looked like in the 70s so like if a black like critic not or great. historian <laughs> right was was gonna like criticize this movie i'm not gonna like fucking take them to task yeah. from my ivory tower in 2023 right i was just commenting on um yes i agree with you though right like the conversation it's wild to see how far we've come and yet in some other ways <laughs> yes we haven't come yeah uh to, to another i think quick point is like it is um in kind of opposition to the idea that the, the black exploitation films were like, they were often uh, obviously quite transgressive, um, but but they were also often financially successful. They were often backed by Hollywood. I believe this is like Warner Brothers film. Um, it It is like startling if you look at like the timeline, how quickly um, elements of like black culture got kind of absorbed by like kind of larger white culture. Uh, so like this film was like 72, uh, the, the black exploitation tinged James Bond film, live and let die, which is like a big piece of shit, uh, came out one year later and, you know, would have a, like a, a female black Panther esque character. That's like, absolutely <laughs> very, uh, 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 kind of stereotyped in a way. Right. And it's just like, Hollywood and like, like even like British, like filmmaking production companies just kind of gobbled this up in like six months. You know what I mean? Um, and a lot of that is like black culture from like the, the end of the the sixties and whatnot. But like, you know, black exploitation films were like arguably started in 71, maybe 70, depending on how you want to stretch it. And like within two or three years, it's like, yeah, James Bond is going to get to meet a, a sexy black woman, uh, in his journey through the American South, you know? a little absurd i guess yeah yeah it, it, it could i i just i'm watching this movie i have a hard time i guess empathizing with somebody from 50 years ago who had different priorities and had seen different things and like hadn't seen like you're saying the state of uh you know black representation in movies in 1972 probably wasn't great so like the fact that this would come out and sort of spark those conversations is not unexpected it's not like uh, a bad thing per se again none of us can leverage any sort of point against the against the people um, who, who would have seen this movie and, and found fault in it. Uh, I just like in watching it, it seems exceedingly obvious what it's trying to do by the time that you get to the halfway point, I guess 2023 goggles on, I mean, down to the, like, um, priest just never looks like he's having a good time with any of this. <laughs> like he looks like he just hates absolutely. Like he, he had he sex looks, that he one looked, time. 
even that that scene starts oh. with him like with him dropping his time. roach or dropping his uh doobie and like just having a terrible time and like not really seeming to enjoy it and then finally like he does have I think this we have a different interpretation moment. of this scene <laughs> okay well i mean Maybe. like in in the end yes he he does have sex with with his girlfriend and like yeah but i don't know it just even that's nice, that's the scene, nice job dude that's the that's that's the moment where i realized like he's not he, he, like he looks like he's cool and hard and like a, a get go-getter type guy uh until that scene where it's like he's supposed to be i don't know he's he's becoming intimate it's a personal moment and it seems like he's still not enjoying a whole lot about his life at the moment well like, they have the like classic ptsd conversation right beforehand yeah. right where she's like hey like talk to me about all of the terrible shit that you've seen and done and they make love instead right like they fuck instead of having that mm, conversation okay. interesting which, point you know but i mean i'm i'm with right. you Aaron. um but i what i really like is that like i think that it's it's a it's a wild thing to say and i don't want to sort of stretch too far here but like i think that one of the really fascinating things about this movie is sort of that it it sort of prefigures and anticipates that appropriation of culture that you're referring to aaron right where it's just sort of like here's a movie that is like at the very cusp of sort of like black culture breaking through to the quote-unquote mainstream and it's a movie all about how a black guy knows that his blackness is going to be taken advantage of by white powers that be ultimately and he's going to have to find a way to get out and the only way he's going to be able to get out is by breaking a system open and then getting the hell out of that system right it's like i think that one of the most pivotal scenes in this movie quietly that that kind of functions like an in-universe apologia for the politics is like the like radical black party comes to a uh, priest in like a bar and they're like hey like we're putting together a revolutionary movement to liberate uh, like the black new yorkers and like you're gonna start paying dues and, and he's like hey if if you guys want to start like blowing up police stations and killing whitey like i'm behind you but until then like you're not doing shit for me um and i really like unfortunately right like i think it's a really good point i think it's like it's like what we had been saying about criticisms of the civil rights is that it's like, I think that like there is this idea that like to be a quote unquote good black person, you have to be like all in for the movement. And it's sort of like, yeah, but being all in for the movement doesn't actually do anything for you right, right. Or, or your family. Like you can look forward to some sort of distant future where things might be better, but like, like, you know, like uh priest says it's like what about me now like what about the people i love now what about what i have to do now and i think that like i think there's a really interesting sort of um indictment of purity politics happening there um and i i i'm not an, entirely sure if it like was supposed to square it with like i i doubt this movie could see the future and could see well <laughs> i mean i i say that but like it's pretty easy to see the future when you consider that like all american culture is just black culture from 20 years ago sort of recycled and made more palatable for capitalism but but there is the sense that that like it's a movie that's frustrated with the things that are happening to it and to the people who are in it at that moment right because it's like this movie goes on to be successful and the right people make a bunch of money from it and then they use that money to finance things like live and let die <laughs> and other movies like that right and it is sort of like oh my god like capitalism can subsume any critique of itself into itself um, and like, what is, what does that mean for the people who are like victimized by it? Like, like, what do you, what do you have to do to like get out of a system like that? And like, 
I think that this movie's answer is more cynical than the sort of idea that, like, well, the truth will out, and, like, we'll be able to create something that's sort of so pure and good that uh, it won't be able to be subsumed. I think instead it's sort of like, get yours and get out. And it's pretty hard to argue uh, with the effectiveness of that, at least within a single generation. To, to your point, do you think... Uh, Sigshore is the only credited producer on this movie... Do you think he was hip enough to like, I, I guess, know, like, like, was it intentional that the producer guy, the guy giving the money so that this movie could be created, at least some of it, was cast as the policeman feeding cocaine, like contraband cocaine into an ongoing drug ring that like ru- has ruined a lot of lives and restricts choice of like the most disadvantaged and marginalized communities in New York? Like, was that? Is that a thing? Like, were they aware of that? Is Sigshore a, like hip enough to have known that? I, I, the, the mind reels at whether or not there's, uh, I guess, intent behind that, or if it's just he, he he's to be been. In the movie. I, I think him and uh, who's the other uh, producer on the film? I think probably. I Gordon just Brooks I just Jr. went to I just went to but, fucking letterbox and it's it, he's the only pr- producer credited. But yeah, I, th- I think he maybe produced it with the the director who very very quickly Gordon Parks Jr. Uh, Superfly, uh, his dad Gordon Parks Shaft, hell of a black exploitation lineage. Right also, Gar- Not- Gordon Parks Jr. Minneapolis yeah. his own. Indeed, indeed. indeed. Um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, I think uh, I, th- I think Sig has has been pretty pretty clear about his like. I, mean, I don't know the guy. That maybe sucks, but I think he he's been pretty upfront that like the somewhat subversive or at least kind of uh, direct uh, political messaging was definitely intentional. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they even say that, like, we wanted this to be about how bad the drug business is, and we wanted to be, we wanted it to be how bad the drug business is specifically because of, like, how it actually, like, perpetuates systems of inequality. Um, I will say, like, if you're a white producer of a, of a black movie, um, and you have to cast yourself in it, you should cast yourself like this. You shouldn't cast yeah. yourself like Brad Pitt in. I was, gu- I was, I would cast myself as, uh, as priest's kung fu teacher. That's sure. just, yep. that's uh, that's, just that's, that would also be better. That's okay, <laughs> especially because Priest kicks that guy's ass, and you would have to get your ass kicked. Like you couldn't uh, be beaten. The him guy up. gives him a good flip. He gives first. him one, but then it's, like once the one. scene actually comes in, yeah, that was yeah. such a funny scene. That was like right. So it's like we like, need to set this up for the end that he can like kind of handle some some folks. Yeah, you know what I but mean? But also just like so much of this movie, and like I consider this another point in this movie's favor is like the plot. And the themes are secondary to the fact that we just want to shoot something that's cool as fuck. Yeah. And, like, that is very clearly what they're going for. And it's like, you know, more power to them. Especially, like, in 1972, there weren't that many movies about black people happening. And there was just... It was, like, one where it was just like, yeah, we just want to, like... We want to make a movie about a black guy doing some cool shit. We we like, found one of the three guys alive who can pull off having mutton chops that like go like like horizontal. <laughs> almost connect to end. his mustache. You almost know, I, but, but like go like straight. Him, yeah, I was taken aback, but he does pull it off, which I think he is does amazing. pull it off. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. He looks good. I'm in just the saying film. He has, it, was, he has it style. was jarring. Even it's just so 1972. I think. Um, yeah. This whole film movie also, is just so 70s. Film also uh, uh, another film to showcase the decline of the classic business briefcase in American society. Mm-hmm. You said not to sound like one of the, you know, boring conservative, like punt, but like, you just don't see men carrying around briefcases anymore. 
just black. We have, rigid. We have the same number. All the of- briefcases are now soft and allow for the contents to kind of move around, which yeah, represents my, the the softening of the American The sissification. This is my, so my, this is my, my fucking coke dealer uses the Venmo, Times. you know? It's like, we don't yeah. do any of that shit, those handoffs and the dark alleys Dude, the anymore. Book with I the it. thing in the middle cut out, I want somebody to, I don't even need it to be dry. I just, someone give me a book, you know, hollowed out. Exactly. You know, some shit in it. Yeah, it's like we've, there's, we've a, lost there's just a of perfect our ways. outline of a of a gun, and then like a pouch for cocaine in in one book. It's one big book, and it's like there's my gun and my stash. <laughs> yeah, coffee coffee shop drop offs. You know, we yeah. need to go back to a simpler uh, time. From like a formal perspective, I do think it's funny how many scenes in this movie have no place in this movie, and like the movie is like eighty six minutes long, and there are a bunch of scenes that just straight up don't need to be there. Again, like I, I don't think that's an indictment of the movie. I think that this movie is just doing something a little bit different from what you would expect from a traditional mm-hmm. movie. In that, like, I think that the vibe is really paramount here. Beyond what are some... even the themes? I'm when he's walking with his girlfriend in the in the park, uh, the sex scenes, the scene in the club, um, a lot of the scenes where like he sits down with. Um, with Fat Willie and and his wife, I mean, I guess that was ostensibly to set up Fat Willie's wife as somebody that he's like very overprotective Freddy, of, right? But um, yeah, but there's there's just a lot of stuff where like um or like the the scene with his white mistress where she's just like like keep dealing and also like make me your wife or something and he's like nah. It's about the it's <laughs> um, about the pull of capitalist white America keeping the right the the yeah, black no, American male in his but in I just station. like I love that like this movie it it tends to feel a little bit aimless but not in a bad way if that makes sense right it's sort of like yeah. it the plot does not move the way you would expect a traditional sort of even noir or sort of like guy trying to get out plot to move because it, it's a little bit more languid than that um but it does do a good job of like setting the tone especially when it's it's photographed as beautifully as it is right which like i know 1970s new york is kind of a cheat code for that kind of thing but um it is a lot of fun French to connection. Look at. one yeah. year before this there you go the warriors not not bad one two the warriors seven years i said some years after this wasn't it like some 73 years. 75 Isn't it like 70, I don't probably know. we did do an episode on that we, we did yeah, do an episode. well you like guys did an episode on that i was out of town maybe 100 years ago 79 so that was uh, uh jesus good ways jesus well yeah i was already not think about that Whew. yeah um yeah i i got that feeling too that like the amount of plot really didn't sustain doesn't sustain like a 93 97 minute movie per se and it is the breaking up with soundtrack that keeps going it is the uh, extended scenes of i don't know like even even when he meet, meets um oh geez it's not shatter is it his uh his his usual supplier scatter scatter uh he, when he meets scatter uh in his in his restaurant in his club and that seems like, so long dude <laughs> it is it is like it did not hit me until it was over how like how little we accomplished in that scene just like a begrudging no, that yes. seems great what are you talking about it's it's not it's, a, it's not like it's not a terrible scene but like it the, does go almost on, the entire dialogue oh, from that is used as the outro to freddie gibbs's album pinata which is my favorite oh album. this is so, why, like this the is sound clips of like uh uh the sound the sound clips of like uh i, I pretty much have that entire scene memorized is what is what i'm Damn. What I'm saying, talk that talk to me, and you don't got a gun in your hand. It's great, it's great. <laughs> it's the whole thing. Does he does he uh, steal Eddie's gun in that scene, or did he have his own? He had he had his own. He had his own. And he, he had his own gun. gun. I believe Damn. because he, he, because does he gives a gun Eddie back, and then he gives it back to him. Yeah. Is like a, that's right, so sick. Yeah. yeah, but he he pulls out as a yeah. I mean, yeah, like the, it's it, it has good moments, but like to Harry's point, I it just like 
it does not feel like every scene I is. I love that. I, I wait. Do you think that went on too long? That scene for sure. I That's mean, like, like the scene again, of the movie to me, really. I, I, okay. I'm not saying I didn't like the scene. Like I, I, I see what we did in it, and just, nothing like, about it is it, like offensive. Also, just, like I think I think Eddie does a really. I think Eddie uh, Carl Lee is Eddie. I think he does I, a really, really good job like, in this film. I do Fantastic, really like that yeah. actor. Like yeah, uh, that, that, that scene right after they get um, approached by the cop that originally tried to arrest them, and he's like, "Hey, you're dealing for us now." And Priest is like, no, but Eddie's like, yes, because we're going to make so much more if we do this for four like, years versus yes, four months. I would like That's, to. That, yeah, right. That that oh, scene I, I mean, where like Eddie's it speech, goes from especially the, the like yes the the, to the camera right. speech, yeah. fucking yeah. so good. And, oh, I, and I was especially just, when, don't when shit he's talk just like, my boy Eddie, Jason. I literally don't care if if these people kill me because my life until they kill me is going to be yeah, so much better than it would be otherwise. Man. It's like really, that's the really conversation brutal. between him right before right before Priest gets the the hundred thousand right to mm-hmm. take yep. away the mm-hmm. brief. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's very probably good. the crux of the movie. Yes. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I like not to not that we have to sort of argue about this, but like I like the scatter scene too. The the one thing about the scatter scene is like you know exactly what it has to be for the plot before it even starts and so there is this sense in which like scatter is just slowly becoming convinced over the course of like a five minute conversation and i'm like you know you're gonna give him the coke can we please just like like get there (laughs) where he's like i don't know maybe i'll give it to you and and like priest is like please man please and he's like no i don't think so and then like eddie does his thing and then priest keeps pleading and it's just like okay like I know that like the movie has to keep you all going. Are haters. I well, don't, it, I don't like, agree with us. Yeah, if, it had, right. if it had more of a push and pull, I would have felt like oh, engaged throughout the whole scene. But it really isn't. It's just a pull, a pull, a pull, a pull, a pull, and it's, until it's finally speaking the end. language of subtlety, one that you do not understand, <laughs> sir. Uh, the, the beautiful game of discourse yes. uh, is lost on we me. We should have had Freddie Gibbs on this episode. We should have. Sure. Should have had his contact on. info, Aaron. Oh yeah. Oh fan. yeah. Yeah. Hit him up yeah. On IG. Um, that if he's not banned, he gets frequently banned from IG for posting very banned. inappropriate <laughs> clips. Very frequently, which, like, you know, that's what you want. He's a he's a hip hop star. You know, it's like you don't yeah. you don't want a guy who's like, you either polite, do that sort of. and get banned a million times, or you just do not interact with it. You know right. what I mean? It's like yeah, one, it's, or it's one or the other. Don't be in the middle. Sure. Nobody wants that. Or like you're like Kendrick Lamar, where like you post one thing every like five one thing a and year, freaks out and is like, "Oh, what does it mean?" And then it like it didn't mean shit. <laughs> Merch drop. Leave him, leave him hungry. Uh, that's I think emptying the tank of my main talking points here. Um, do we want to jump over to the junk drawer that I can open real quick? I don't have any thoughts for it, but maybe you guys do. I, just I immediately like close it. I can immediately. Like close. It'd be funny if we just immediately <laughs> just quiet for like ten seconds and then just play the sound clip. No, continue. We should have done that. I like the foot chase scene a lot early on. Um, it yeah, goes on for a long time, but it, it's really cool. Yeah, and like uh, Priest does a lot of really awesome shit, including one hilarious part where he just like kind of like like straight up jumps up over a fence, uh, and it's it's really awesome. <laughs> Um, um, according to one of the pieces written for Parasphere, apparently uh, Ron O'Neill, the actor who plays Priest, told the director, "I can do that," you know. And then he's like, "I'll just do it." And then he did it in the first take, and that's what they kept. Let's fucking go! Oh, that's so good. Uh, also, love the scene early on where um, 
like priest who is sort of he seems to keep his cool really well a lot. That's sort of one of his big character traits. But when he's at the craps game and the guy that um that his partner had been hustling at craps says that he's white looking, the dude he just immediately hauls off and smacks the dude so hard he falls over. Just, it's just backhands like, him to the ground. You don't call somebody white looking in this movie. Do you know what movie you're in? <laughs> so that was very good. I, I like that quite a bit. I liked the uh the guy's outfit. That guy who gets just slapped. I liked his outfit. It was like kind of a like a mod go-go girl sweater. Like it was going from his shoulders down to his ass cheeks. I like that thing a lot. So much fucking style in this movie. I guess if there's a junk drawer thought, it is an incredibly styling movie. You call this like a mood or vibes movie. And I think if you pay attention to a lot of the costuming and the music and not so much the story, you can get a whole lot out of just like the, what it's, what it's showing you, what like the world that it's building rather than the story. Yeah. Can we play the soundtrack? I said, I said to Charlie, thing, yeah, you know? the yeah. soundtrack, yeah. and then like also like it's like a it would be a really amazing movie to like project in the back of a club or oh, something, yeah. just like, like well like oh just like a bar, just, yes, yeah, it's a great one would, of those. It would yes. rock. Like that would be really you could just do it back to back. Do you guys um, have a favorite other, movie? Oh, sorry, I was gonna say, do you a have favorite a favorite movie? Favorite movie you've seen projected in a random like Ooh. what the fuck? There was some horror film that was in some club that I went to one time. There was uh, a guy was fucking a pinball machine. But I think it was like a demonic <laughs> pinball machine, and I was okay. always like, "What the? F-? I'm sure it's some famous, you know, kind of cult horror film that Sounds I just like have not seen. <laughs> I'm sure I'll see it when I'm like 48, and I'll be like, "That's the that's the one they were playing that at, you know, uh, whatever club." <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is going to sound like this when you're 48. <laughs> sort of a, <laughs> like Joe Biden at the age of 48. Oh, <laughs> this is sort of a cop out answer, but like, um, I guess I, I first of all, I've seen like Godzilla movies projected at like concerts and bars and stuff. Yes, and yeah, obviously yeah, that's my answer. Um, but also like just any of the sort of like Hammer horror like classic monster movies like. If you play one of those, like projected like an arcade or something or whatever, yeah, yeah, it fucking rocks like that. It yeah, it's the best. That's really good stuff. Uh, Sorry, you had a point. You were you were actually making. Oh me, no, I I didn't. Before I went and kind of diverted and. uh, that's that's oh. it. That's what oh, the drunk was about. Maybe. Talk. He was. He um, was. Yeah. Did, how did uh, how did Priest learn about Reardon? We never actually see him learn all of that information that he like busts out at the end of the movie. I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, I, I I think it's implied from the conversation at like the yeah good the coffee shop one of the one of the like the oh, montage yeah, yeah. scenes That's, I think it's a montage kind of sequence that. where yes. he's sort of like getting the information okay and Curtis Mayfield sense. in the background is singing about like it's the biggest yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, wonderful just a wonderful did anybody else see that Eric Adams thing uh about oh yes it's favorite, incredible that's the i mean r.i.p to curtis mayfield but yeah the, but this is the funniest, funniest shit of all time did you see that harry uh mayor eric adams was like he was asked once upon a time what his favorite concert was and he said that some 1990 concert of uh curtis mayfield's he was like and it was the one where curtis mayfield like some lighting apparatus fell on him and paralyzed him for the rest of his life uh, like ruined oh, yeah. his career and but like, but he said but up his, until that point it was he was the like best. it was a wonderful concert and then the, the piece that I read was like the L A Times like wrote about it at the time and it, all by all indications Curtis Mayfield didn't play before actually the accident occurred like oh no God. no performance happened. <laughs> 
He's saying I, the I one believe Eric Adams is, is oh just kind of a habitual liar. To, like, I, I think it's like not I, even like politics uh, aside. I well, think he just clearly mayor, like yeah. makes up shit. So Ooh, got him. Ouch. Look, as a as a as a as a member, as a resident of a city with a maybe okay mayor, and very recently, uh, I take offense to your very, statement. But I do understand before that that, that Jacob <laughs> that um, Jacob in office on your end is uh, maybe tainting your your opinions. I, I do yourself. like how anytime that I see like a poorly dressed person in a place where they seem like sh- they should be well dressed, everybody always says like. Why are they dressed like Lori Lightfoot <laughs> every single fucking time if they're just wearing an ill-fitting suit or just like trashy clothes? Man, what a what a style icon for the wrong reason. Uh, we have another segment after I close here, the junk drawer. That's all of our thoughts jingling around in there like uh, staples and, and pins and whatever. Uh, we have another segment because Cody's not on our episode this time. This is actually our final segment, I believe. Uh, good grief. Give me a gift. Please tell me what images you want to see moving alongside the episode link and uh, whatever fun p- quote we pull for this episode on Twitter. Um, Harry, did you have any in mind that you wanted to see? I do. I only have one this time around. And uh, I think it's just like in the final fight scene, the way the final fight scene ends is priest like slow-mo judo flips the last white cop into a garbage can head first. Like he does like a yeah. full swing through the air and the dude Kung just Fu. goes like dunks right into the garbage can. And it's really, really funny and really good. And I would love it's that. A, to be the it's, it's the opposite of a Yakuza heat move where like he doesn't pick anything up to do it and he doesn't do it in fast motion. And it's not like super crazy camera angles. It's one camera angle, 120 frames per second or some shit and one trash can. Uh, yeah. A wonderful choice. Aaron, did you have any images? Uh, I think, uh, uh, unfortunately, not a funny answer. Your serious answer. I think any uh, any of the uh, kind of shots from like the weirdly experimental like triptych, where there's like a third of the screen and then a third of the screen and then a third of the screen. Just take like maybe two revolutions of that. You kind of pick yeah. whichever one you want. Just people doing coke, people driving, uh, you know, priests walking around with a cool hat. Any of those, yeah. I'm I'm very much in favor of that too because that was one of my selections. It's like a sitcom Sp- intro, spe- yes. Specifically, I think I can uh, sort of split the difference on the funny and the not funny. The one with the construction worker who's getting zonked in his apartment with his girlfriend and is just like he's got his eyes crossed and his mouth agape as he's doing coke. That's just a wonderful, and it's part I, of that like three up. I don't know if this would be funny due to the editing, but if you could. Instead of a GIF, if you could do a video of maybe like three of those with the SNL, you know what I mean? Like uh, uh, intro in the background, like just saxophone. Nassim <laughs> Pedrad. Yeah, and then, you know, just uh, the thirds, that would be great, yes. I think that, that would be a, a more realistic, uh, in true-to-life SNL intro than, than the ones they actually play <laughs> every day. Probably. Every day. They always do seem so. <laughs> SNL char- characters, but just every single actor, it's just a supercut of them doing coke, like right before <laughs> the show starts. Ouch. Uh, my only other suggestion for a gift to put on this one was actually that scene that uh, Harry was talking about. It was your first example of like kind of a pointless scene where the white kids are sledding in the snow and Georgia and priests are staring through the gates. There's this one shot, like a slowly zooming shot of them just staring through the gates kind of longingly, not necessarily at yeah, the kids, but stuff. sort of at the freedom of it. I like that shot. kind of means a bit. Uh, that was my final suggestion for a gift. Or maybe just like a super cut of every time priest does coke with that little like cross necklace. With the because- one that, yeah. Especially in like the first half hour, it's so funny. Like you would die if you tried to do a drinking game where it's like take a shot every time Priest does coke because he does like two snorts of coke per scene. In this well, yeah, movie. one it's each. Crazy. It's kind, of, it's kind of crazy. I mean, I know that like it's the point, but it's kind of crazy how much coke he does. There's one 
I don't remember if it's him or somebody else, another pusher, but somebody has like a little, I'm, I swear to Christ, it was a device that has two little divots, one for each nostril so that you can like dual uh, sniff. I, I was fucking blown away that these things exist. I, f- I imagine finding one of those at a flea market and wondering what it was, but now I know, now I know. Um, cool. Well, uh, if that is the final place we want to sort of be with this episode, and, you know, so folks, we can thoughts. have this yeah. episode in before an hour. We're at 58 yeah, really and can. a half really minutes. We, okay, got, we need quick, to go. Quick sign off. Uh, check the show notes for Pieces of Perisphere. Check the show notes for the Crossfade episode. Uh, go to trylon.org uh, for movie showings. Go to Trilove Podcast on Twitter for our stuff. Find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Uh, I'm Harry Mackin. Find me on Twitter at PunishTake. Aaron, Twitter at please. There's no happiness. Whoa.